Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Monday, May 1st, 2023. New month, old themes, old friends of the show, old writers, or maybe not so old writers, wise writers, writers who have written about many things and are experimenting with new forms and new territories. Uh, later this morning, I have my old sparring partner, Kevin Kelly, on the show, one of technology's great optimists, most articulate optimists. Um, he was, of course, the founding editor of Wired magazine, and I think he was the first editor or certainly one of the men at the beginning of The Well, the first social network. He's the author of The Inevitable, uh, which many of you will be familiar with. Uh, but he has a new book out, Excellent Advice for Living, Wisdom I Wish I'd Known Earlier. Kevin is bringing his wisdom about technology to new spheres. Uh, my guest uh, before Kevin today uh, is also a very wise uh, writer on technology. She's the author of many uh, brilliant books on tech. She used to write for um, many, or well, she continues to write for many publications, including the New York Times about technology. Uh, she wrote uh, Where Wizards Stay Up Late, The Origins of the Internet, which is still one of the best books about the origins of uh, the internet. She wrote a, a wonderful book about um, uh, cyber punkery. Uh, and she's also, as it happens, uh, uh, coincidentally, or perhaps history is not so coincidental, the author of The Well, uh, the book about uh, Kevin Kelly's first social network. And just like Kelly, who is experimenting with new forms, uh, Katie Hafner, a uh, longtime tech writer, uh, has a first novel out. It came out last year in hardback. It's called The Boys. It's a huge success. And uh, it's out tomorrow in paperback. And Katie is joining me from San Francisco, just over the hill in Noe Valley. I can't remember my own address, but Katie certainly remembers her. hers. Uh, Katie, just as uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with... Uh, Kevin Kelly's new book, Excellent Advice for Living. Um, but is your new book, The Boys, in its own way, your Katie Hafner's version of Excellent Advice for Living? Well, that's such a good question. Uh, did you just think of that? <laughs> I, well, I, 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 that's why I couldn't remember my own address. <laughs> so, um, I, first of all, uh, I'm so glad you're talking to Kevin after this. I, I adore Kevin. Um, and, uh, he's the one actually, when he was at Wired, who assigned me, it was his idea to write a history of the well. And so that history with the first place it appeared was in Wired. Um, so, uh, you know, it's really what you've, you've, you've kind of opened this whole, uh, interesting question about when does one in one's life embark on fiction and, uh, what I say a lot of the times when I'm talking about the boys is that I'm not sure that I could have written fiction, especially this particular book, before I became as superannuated as I am. Uh, and I think maybe Kevin, I don't know Kevin's new book, and I'm going to have to read it because I think that as we age, 
tell me if you think I'm, if you agree with me. Um, although you're still very spry and young. Uh, um, yeah, I'm only 30. <laughs> I just think I couldn't have, you know, there are things that I've learned and gleaned, but mostly kind of just know uh, that I brought to bear on the boys and that I hope to bear on my next, on my next novel uh, that I couldn't have known or really understood until I was older. And so it seemed like an unlikely transition from, you know, writing the history of the internet and my book about Glenn Gould's piano and an entire book, uh, nonfiction book set in uh, post uh, fall of the Berlin wall in Germany, which is that one down on the lower left, the house at the bridge. Um, the house at the bridge. And then the, uh, the Glenn Gould book is romance on three legs. A so. Yeah. A romance on three legs. Uh I, you know, I mean, they're pretty straightforward journalistic endeavors, those books. The Boys is a funny mix of my journalism on the one hand, um, my imagination taking flight on the other. Um, and also, as I just said, kind of my, what I've learned through the years, Andrew, and it's, uh, it's, it's a lot. I mean, why are we even on this earth? you know, except to try to not ruin the planet. Um, but, you know, to uh, to gain and impart wisdom. I don't know. What do you think? Well, it's not my job, Katie, to think. My job is to ask <laughs> questions, and I'm not very good at thinking. Uh, let, let's. We don't want to give away all the, the secrets in the boys, and there's a particular twist at the end, which is remarkable. But um, is the central character in the boys, is he a... Seems to me, in some ways, a classic character in Silicon, out of Silicon Valley, or certainly out of tech. It would have been hard to have invented this guy without your uh, many years of reporting on Silicon Valley technologists. Did you mm -hmm. borrow a type to put into this book? I know that you've noted that it's not based on a singular person, but there's certainly a, a type in there. This is so true. Uh, so I started writing about technology when I was, um, well, uh, when I was quite young, um, in 1983, which was the year the Apple Lisa was introduced. Um, and, uh, I've, and over the years I have grown sort of increasingly admiring of a certain type in Silicon Valley, which is slightly socially awkward, kind of, uh, a little bit reclusive, kind of very, um, very, very, very smart in everyone in, you know, kind of different ways. So my main character, Ethan, is, and I have just tremendous, uh, as I said, admiration, but also kind of awe for um, people who tend to be misunderstood. And so I'm a woman, just for the record. Um and uh, and I uh, and I adopted a male voice for my first novel um, with s s an ease that surprised even me. But I think I couldn't have like I couldn't have gotten inside of the head of like a I don't know, like a Trumpy character or something like that. Someone who I could not relate to at all. But the Ethan character is someone I picked. It's a type, as you say, that I've 
kind of observed for a really, really, really long time. And, uh, and I find tremendously endearing and readers of the boys, they, uh, it's really nice to hear that they find Ethan as endearing as I do. I mean, he's so quirky. He grew up, you know, talk, speaking Fortran with his mother. I made his mother the computer programmer and not his father quite intentionally. Um, so, uh, so yeah, he, uh, he's the main, I think, uh, sympathetic voice of, of the book, but he's, he's troubled. He's odd. He's hard to reach. Hmm. Um, I mean, uh, you, you noted Apple's Lisa, which of course was Steve Jobs's Lisa, which he named after, you know, who Lisa um, his daughter, Lisa. Yeah, yeah, his daughter is his strange daughter. It's the only way of communicating with his daughter is naming a computer after her. Um, if if Ethan had built a machine like a computer or a laptop, some other consumer product, what do you think he would call it? <laughs> That's such a good question. Um, a male or female? Would he go after the boy or the girl's name? Oh, definitely a female name and somehow uh his mother i guess uh yeah sheila maybe he would call it sheila that was his mother's name i and, uh, uh, i read uh, you had an interesting piece in or an interview in the post about this transition from non uh, from non-fiction to fiction you noted you read kafka a lot when you were young is there an element of freud here too in terms of parenting it's hard to write about parenting which is the heart of the book without at least thinking of freud as well as kafka of course mm -hmm. uh well every single book i write i have to tell you um i i uh i embed a little nod to kafka i i've just always loved him since i was a little girl um and my father would read kafka aloud to us uh um, but Freud, not so much. Uh, what does a little nod mean? That sounds Freudian almost, uh, Katie. <laughs> a little nod to Kafka. What does that mean? Oh, well, there's always a little kind of a pre like a secret language, uh, uh, a reference like a, to him that he might yeah, be aware of that yeah, no yeah. one else would get. Correct. Yeah. There's always a reference to, um, to Kafka in every single book I write, uh, starting with cyberpunk. Um, and it, don't ask me why, but I just, uh, I, they're fun. It's fun to embed. I was talking to someone recently about embedding literary references, and I think you cannot do it unless you have completely absorbed another author. So I basically don't have many choices because I have, I'm not really. Yeah, where, where's, uh, where's Kafka embedded in the boys, so to speak? Oh, embedded in the boys. So, um, uh, well, it would be hard to give you that one without giving it away but, okay um, but he's I, there anyway but he's there anyway but in cyberpunk for instance um there's a famous scene um in the trial where uh it, and i call it kafka's closet where uh uh he he the the main uh character joseph k uh opens his closet and these these men are like having a fist fight and then like months later he opens the same closet and they're still there having the same fist fight and that's such a isn't that a wonderful apt kind of uh, image and mm. so that's a that's somewhere in cyberpunk um 
Um, Katie, technologists are, of course, in the business of perfection, and they often create perfect things and often rather imperfect things. Uh, we, we know all about that. You've written about it. Parenting, of course, comes particularly hard for technologists because children aren't computers. Is that one of the issues that you bring to the boys? The, um, the book is about Ethan's struggle, challenge of being a parent. Well, that's one of the main sort of narrative pieces. Is that what you learned in a way from hanging around from all these technologists in Silicon Valley for so many years? that people aren't computers, that they can't be programmed, that they can't be shaped as we want them to be, mm -hmm. that we can't simply program them with our own language. Hmm. Wow, I had never thought of that. I think, yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, um, I, again, I can't, the, the reveal is so in the boys is so kind of stunning. Right. It's hard to talk about it. In fact, my publisher and I were on a panel recently and we kept trying to say things and then we couldn't say them. But let me just say that you're absolutely right on the money here. Uh, Ethan is very relieved when he and Barb adopt these two kids from Russia because he is think he thinks that now he they are almost lumps of clay that he can uh, finally do something yeah. to to kind of exert his own need to keep children safe. Um, that's it's the most bizarre convoluted thing I've just said. But you if you read the book and you'll, you'll mm, yeah. Well, we want everyone to read the book. Kids are tabula rasas. It's the old liberal that, conceit yeah. and of course it's not quite exactly 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 but in his case he's just so worried that if he ever had children he wouldn't be able to keep them safe um and if you think about it andrew it's such it's such a scary thought i mean i remember when i was a new mother and my daughter was in a oh my gosh she was in a stroller and i put the stroller you know out on the sidewalk or something and it started to roll away and you know you just i could just keep kept thinking all the hazards there are out there that it's our responsibility to make sure it doesn't happen to these little fragile but what is it katie about our you know i'm speaking broadly our, our generation which makes us so paranoid about parenting paranoid about our children being kidnapped or abused or dying or something when in fact all the i'm always a bit wary of this phrase but all the data suggests that there's never been a safer time to grow up you know most kids in the 19th century died in childbirth and in the 20th mm -hmm. century there was much worse crime many more kidnappings it was a much more dangerous environment for children what is it about perhaps the the ethan generation that makes them such paranoid parents Oh, you know, you've got, um, I think it's that we're, we're raising our kids now just in, you know, in this sort of, in this fishbowl, you know, everybody watches and judges everybody else's parenting, uh, for, you know, given how, you know, open the whole universe is. And so we don't just sort of quietly parent our child. We, we publicly parent our children 
these days. And so what does you, that mean? You mean we show off about how good or bad? No, no, but I mean, think about it. Your kids, you know, are like complaining about their parents on, you know, we're kind of like always worried that there's going to be some misstep that's going to get reported by our kids, you know, on social media or, uh, uh, and kids these days, I think, are just so um, kind of it's called I, I'm calling it kind of entitled, you know, entitled children, not entitled in that they're given all this material stuff. But children expect a great I mean, children of a certain class, which um, uh, which ours are. Um and, and background, they just expect a certain kind of level of parenting, but we're all, we're all, um, we're all beginner parents when we start. It's such a, it's such a crazy thing that we, uh, we don't, we don't know what we're doing. Do you think if we knew we would, none of us would have kids? I mean, the thing about your book yes. is it's, it's in a way, it's a, a novel about the theory of having children rather than the practice. It's a trial yeah. run. Um, it, it's as if uh, it's it's what in Silicon Valley is called the beta version of parenting. Yeah, yeah. It's like they take these kids in. Uh, you know how most kids, most uh, couples get a dog, so and they yeah. take these kids in. So um, try it first to make sure it's okay. Yeah, uh, and Ethan he harbors this secret, and that's and he's been you know traumatized. Although, thank goodness trauma is not like the main neither trauma nor the pandemic are the main uh elements of the book um but they are they kind of lurk in the background um the pandemic comes along just as the boys come into uh barb and ethan's life and uh and ethan is quickly uh thrown off by uh the pandemic and it sort of sends his kind of all of his pathologies into hyperdrive poor guy he becomes super 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 reclusive um more and more protective of the boys uh drives barbara away uh which you the reader gets very angry at barb not understanding that, that uh why she would do this and then once the second half of the book starts everything kind of falls into place or everything falls out of place. Yeah, yeah. You talked about COVID, Katie. Um, you, we talked about uh, Kafka earlier. COVID is not just COVID, is it? COVID is our own paranoia, our own imagination of doom and death and catastrophe. Kafka was thinking that whether or not there was a global epidemic or not. Is this something about COVID which maybe we didn't quite deserve, but was inevitable given our own paranoia and pessimism and fear of the future. Yeah, I think it, I, that's, that's a really good point. It's, uh, I'm sure you've talked to many people about this. I mean, it just suddenly it's like, yep, we're all, we're all saying to each other, yep, told you so. And it's exactly the way Ethan reacts. He's, there's this scene and this happened to me when, COVID first started, remember at the very beginning when you would go to the grocery store and you had to like go along this, there was this arrow taped to the floor and you had to go like single file 
through the store a certain way. And uh, I went to my Whole Foods in Noe Valley and um, I was just trying to buy some bok choy and there was this you know, man who didn't really have a mask on and he was sneezing into the bok choy and, um, and I freaked out and I decided not to buy the bok choy after all, which was maybe smart, maybe just paranoid. Uh, but everything was heightened for me. It was a little like being, you know, on some kind of weird mm. drug. And then in the store, remember in the early days, like of COVID, if anybody touched anything that you were then going to touch, you totally freaked out. Yeah, so, well, I didn't. I touched everything and my daughter would freak out, not yeah. at, at me. I think your next novel needs to be set in your Noe Valley Whole Foods during COVID. Um, <laughs> yeah, even the name, I have to say, Ethan sounds such an Ethan. It's such a cursed name. Really? Yeah. I mean, any, anyone who chooses to name their son Ethan is asking for trouble. I think. <laughs> Maybe that's my problem. Uh, um, Katie, it, it, in all seriousness, you've, uh, you came up with the idea of the novel when you were traveling in Italy with your daughter. Is that itself coincidental that you are, uh, as you suggested, a rather public mother? You talk openly about, I think you've talked before about your daughter. Um, mm -hmm. Is that coincidental? Tell us about the origins of 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 the of the idea of the story again, without giving away its 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 narrative twist at the end. But um, how did you come up with this story? So yeah, I've always wanted to go on one of these uh, very uh, high end. Have you ever done that? Gone on one of these high end bike trips? Um, no, I've always wanted to, but I've never been wealthy enough. Yeah, you've got to do it. Just save your. Save well, I like the house. idea of someone else schlepping all my stuff. So exactly, as... yeah, your job, your job on these bike trips is one thing, which is to ride your bike, and then yeah. they do everything else. The cooking, and... and of course, it was in Italy, which couldn't be a, a better venue for a, a bike trip where all you do is right. ride and everyone does everything else. Exactly. Well, actually, the first, the idea came not from the Italy trip, but from a trip that. Um, so I'd always wanted to go on one of these. I brought my daughter along to um, this trip going from um, Stockholm to Copenhagen. And one night, which is nice and flat-ish, uh, and uh, one night at dinner, I, and I was thinking, Andrew, this is weird. You know, you're in this group of people. Um, you're pretty much everyone's each other. And you're thrown together. And we ate together every night and had lunch together every day. And, um, and, and you think to yourself, how, what if there's like a problem guest, you know, what do they do about a problem guest? So we were sitting there at dinner one night and I asked one of the guides, what happens if someone is like kind of problematic? And he said, well, they get a letter. And I said, who did they get a letter from? And he said, they get a letter from the CEO of the company. And I said, what does it say? And he said, it says, thank you for coming, but please never come back. And I said, really? Who's gotten a letter like this? And, uh, and he gave me a few examples. And the last one he gave me, my it was so stunning that my daughter turned to me and she said, mom, that's a novel. And I said, yes, you're right. 
but I'm not a novelist. I'm a journalist. And so I kind of, I said, yeah, you're right. Uh, what a great idea for a novel. And, and then I woke up about, I don't know, three months later, and I was kind of in that dream state you're in when you wake up. And I thought, maybe I should just try to tap out the first scene of that mm. novel. And, uh, and I took my iPhone and I just started tapping on it. And uh, my daughter called. She just happened to call. She said, what are you up to? I said, I'm just kind of writing that first scene of that book you thought of that thing that happened on the bike trip that you think would be a novel. And she said, oh, that's a great that you're doing that. And then I read it to my husband. He said, wow, how'd you come up with that? I said, oh, kind of long story. And um, then my agent. Now, this is the thing about writers, agents, the publishing industry, who my agent, Jim Levine. Who's your agent? Jim Levine. Do you know him? He's great. I know the name, yeah. Yeah. Instead of saying, which probably, you know, I, I used my agent used to be John Brockman, and <clears throat> um, they, John and Katinka might have said, Katie, stay in your lane, although maybe not. But anyway, the thing about a great agent is they don't say, stay in your lane. Uh, they'll kind of work with you and Jim said you know go for it and I wrote a chapter and <clears throat> then I wrote the whole book when you're writing a first unlike nonfiction, where you know you really can you can get away with writing maybe a sample chapter and a rich outline and a full just a proposal and not the entire book even if it's your first nonfiction book um, with fiction if you're if it's your first venture into uh fiction you really have to write the whole book and um so i did and which sounds like easy oh i wrote this book but fiction is every bit as difficult yeah I it was can. funny i did um a similar thing with a photographer uh, a few weekends ago at point Reyes, and she told a story about taking a group of people to africa to do this very sophisticated photography of gorillas and they went into the, the jungle and the, the mountains of Uganda. And she said that one of the people who went was this woman from Northern California who insisted on bringing, um, I think just an iPhone. She didn't even have a proper camera. And she was such a pain. She always insisted on taking the front seat and she was a very, very bad companion. So they, I don't know if they wrote her a formal letter, but they had to ban her too. I guess this is in a sense about community. When you do these group trips, if there's someone who misbehaves, it's not just bad for the company, it's bad for everyone else. So it's bad for business. Yeah, but you have to be really careful. In fact, the real event that I based the boy on, I wanted to know almost nothing about the real event, like that woman with the iPhone. If someone went off and wrote a novel about some woman who brings an iPhone on a sophisticated photography trip, uh, it's important that, you know, no one kind of, that the writer, and in this case, um, me with this bike trip problem guest, I knew, Andrew, I knew almost, all I knew was that this one little thing had happened and I just decided, okay, for legal reasons, I don't want to know anything else. Because if you're going to turn, you know how in, in books it says this, you know, any yeah, resemblance yeah, yeah. to realize totally coincidental. Uh, so I can't write a novel on this 
since I've already now publicly come out with the story, I, that that's excluded me. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you're familiar with the literature of Richard Powers, one of yeah. America's great writers. Yeah. Um, one book I always bring up is his book Bewilderment, which is about turning the traditional parent-child axis upside down and suggesting it's the child is the wise one and it's us adults who need parenting is there an element of that in the boys Katie I don't think so no but you're so you're right about the kind of turning it upside down and there's this uh one thing that fascinates me is this transitional phase where we begin to be parented more by our child um which I'm actually starting my own daughter, who's now a doctor and lives five minutes from me. Um, in Noe Valley too. In, yeah, they were in Coal Valley. And, oh, that's near me. Yeah, I know, and because uh, they both, she and her fiance, both trained at uh, UCSF, and um, I mean, both are training now at UCSF. But she went to medical school at UCSF, and he did too. Um, they uh they've now bought a house five minutes five minutes by foot from our house and that's only if the dog stops to pee <laughs> so he, uh they're very close and she's I don't know do you think it's I mean this is totally off the topic of the boys but it's so interesting to me do you think it's a natural course of life? that the child starts to step in and especially the fact that she's now a physician. And mm. um, so she's a, she's also a, a kind of a caretaker. And, um, and I noticed, so I just. She's <clears> not <throat> a geriatric doctor, I hope. <laughs> no, but the nation needs more. I just, I wrote a story a few years ago about the short, the national shortage of geriatricians for the New York times when I was doing healthcare reporting for the times um, but she, you know, a lot of uh, intern people who train in internal medicine pretty much understand geriatric medicine. But um, anyway, I realized that this kind of the, sh the shift is happening. And it's uh, it's so interesting that it's her. Uh, uh, when you're a parent, you find that you, you explain and explain and explain to your children until a certain point where there's one day you wake up and you realize they know stuff you don't know. And that's to me endlessly fascinating too. Yeah. And the shifts happening also when it comes to writing, of course, we've done many books on parenting and your book is about parenting, but did a show with the Canadian writer at the weekend, Charles Foran, who has a new book out just once, no more about his remarkable father, or perhaps unremarkably remarkable father. And then a couple of weeks ago, Terry McDonnell, another literary, legendary mm -hmm. literary figure, has written a book about his mother, Irma. Um, is it time, rather than talking, writing books about our children or about parenting, uh, Katie, do we need to start writing about our parents? Well, I actually did this. Um, when with my memoir, which actually mother daughter, me, oh, yeah, right. Right, right, right? So, yeah, whew, yeah, that was an adventure writing about that. Well, my life with her was an adventure. Um, and um, she, you know, my advice, and I, uh, uh, it didn't, it, the book is about this experiment where my mother was living in San Diego. Um, she didn't raise me because I was taken away, away from her when I was. Uh, 10 and, um, and but then she goes into this is actual actually happened she goes into kind of a crisis in San Diego 
my husband had died. And so I was, my daughter and I brought my mother to San Francisco to try this multi-generational experiment under one roof, which was an absolute unmitigated disaster. Um, and I learned a lot uh, more about myself than about her um, through this experiment. Um, but I, you know, Andrew, I would be really careful. I'm, I have grown really wary of too much examination of one's parents and one's relationship with one's parents because I've been through the whole exercise. Um, Even with your Kafka obsession? Oh, letter to his father. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yes. Uh, I think, it, I mean, it's, uh, I wouldn't ever say to Kafka, you know, get over it, but uh, he, because he turned it into beautiful art. Um, I mean, the poignancy, the poignancy with which he, with which Gregor Zamsa is in the bed, upside down, unable to move, and the father and the, the father outside, and it's, uh, it's almost, uh, it's almost unbearable, and in, as well as, um, I mean, there are lots and lots and lots of, of his pieces um, mostly his shorter prose where he, he talks about his father. But um, I wish he could have gone to see someone who could have said, you know, uh, you know, given us some, <clears throat> some, uh, uh, given him some, some really sound, uh, sound therapy. Well, I could have, uh, if he was around now, I'm sure he'd read the boys and that might help him somehow. Uh, Katie Hafner, it's a real pleasure, joy. Uh, as I said, I've got Kevin on in a couple of hours. I need to prepare for that. But what excellent advice for living, if you were in, in uh, interviewing uh, Kevin Kelly, what would you begin with? Maybe you can help me with an opening question. Oh, yeah, I would. Um, so what, <clears throat> what I would ask Kevin uh, is, you know, where... Uh, and I know you and he talk about this uh, periodically, is uh, give me one, just one reason to be optimistic about technology. 